What I know is this, I wouldn't be okay if I hadn't let myself grieve as fully as I have this past year and throughout his childhood. Each smaller transition prepares us for the bigger ones. This is at the crux of everything I have taught in the field of transitions for 25 years, and I've lived it this past year like never before. Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. Today we are talking about a very powerful, important transition that Cheryl is going through right now. And Cheryl's whole family is going through right now. Anyone who has visited your website, Cheryl, knows that it's called Conscious Transitions. It's Mm -hmm. conscious-transitions.com. And that's because you have helped to guide people through so many transitions over the years, whether it's the transition of getting married or having a baby, becoming a parent so many different big transitions. And now you are in the transition of you just recently brought your eldest son to college and kind of ushered him out of the nest Mm. in a big way. And actually our next bonus episode for the Patreon is a conversation with your son Everest, which is so exciting. And will come out next week where he will be sharing some reflections on his growth as a person. But for now, we're focusing on your movement through this transition. And I think it will be really helpful for people to hear as you've been sharing on your blog and a little bit here and there in our conversations on the podcast, what this transition is like for you because it's so powerful to hear your personal reflections of practicing what you preach, I guess you could say, Mm. (laughs) and giving us a little peek into what it looks like to try to really bring deep consciousness into these types of transitions that can be so painful in some ways, but also so beautiful. So I'm very excited to hear some of your reflections today, and I'm sure many others are going to treasure this conversation. Thank you, Victoria. I'm going to start by reading a quote from one of my touchstone Bible books, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And I turn to her often. I turn to her as, as a mentor, as a guide, as many of us do. We have our our literary and poetic guides, teachers that we've never met, that we turn to in times of struggle, discomfort, uncertainty. And the night before we took Everest to college in Florida, I was so full of emotion and mostly grief, but also very excited for him and his launch, his next huge step in his journey of life. And so there was all just so much churning in me 
And I keep this book by my bed. And I opened it up and I remembered that she had written a beautiful essay about when her younger daughter went to college. Mm. And the whole essay is so gorgeous. And the way that she interweaves nature into all of her work, it's called The Consolation of Water Lilies. And water lilies have since become another image metaphor that I have turned to during this time of transition. Um, There have been so many openings inside of me, so many pattern interruptions, which is the other side of transitions, which is the beautiful side of the rebirth and the um, the renewal and the new beginning. It's so hard to see what comes, what's going to come on the other side, and I'm still, I'm still wide awake to, to to the newness. But this image of the water lilies has really landed in my soul, certainly from reading this, but it's coming from other places too. And so there was just this one paragraph that. I wanted to share as we delve into this topic. I had known it would happen from the first time I held her. From that moment on, all her growing would be away from me. It is the fundamental unfairness of parenthood that if we do our jobs well, the deepest bond we are given will walk out the door with a wave over the shoulder. We get good training along the way. We learn to say, have a great time, sweetie, while we are longing to pull them back to safety. And against all the evolutionary imperatives of protecting our gene pool, we give them car keys and freedom. It's our job. And I wanted to be a good mother. So this knowing that from the moment you give birth, you are letting them go that from the moment they are born, you know you have this finite time where they are under your roof. And that's a different number of years for everybody. Some kids might leave at 16, some leave at 18, some might leave in their 20s, whenever it is. Most kids do leave these days. And we know that from the moment they are born. And so it's this grieving that is interwoven into the joy of parenting every step of the way. And it's this dread of there's, there's no other relationship in our lives where from the beginning we say, like we don't get married and say, okay, well, in 25 years, see ya, right? <laughs> we don't start a new friendship and say, okay, well, we got 10 years, so <laughs> let's make the best of it. <laughs> it's There's... There's no other relationship where you know from the beginning that there is this definable ending. It's not the end of the relationship, but it's the end of this configuration of the relationship. And it changes dramatically. So knowing that all the way through, I have to say there is actually some relief in having crossed that threshold and not carrying the dread and being okay. And I'll share a little bit more about that. But it's this, it's kind of this like 
very long protracted anticipatory anxiety that you and I have talked about. Yes. Um, right? That <laughs> you know this thing is coming and then when the thing comes, it's actually not nearly as bad. And so there's like these 18, I mean, for us, 19 years because he was on the older end, 19 years of dreading this thing and then <laughs> it happens. And yes, it was so painful leading up to it and so painful in the crossing over. But now it's like, everyone's okay. <laughs> um, so these are just some some journal entries and just some notes that I wrote that I wanted to share here in, because I wrote a lot about leading up to his launch. And this is what I wrote after he left. He's off. Our son has launched into his new life at college. It's been a wonderful beginning, and we're overjoyed that he's at a college that already feels like home. The grief waves have been intense at times, and then they pass, and I'm okay. Grief comes in like waves, like contractions, sometimes fast and furious, sometimes whispering at the edges of the heart. When I can allow my heart to feel the wave instead of giving in to the initial resistance that wants to push away the pain, the grief breaks over me and I'm set down onto the shores of the next moment. This process of letting him go has been like nothing I've ever known. It's been both more heartbreaking and more beautiful than I ever could have imagined. Back home now, with our son 2,000 miles away, I'm delighted to realize that in some way that we can't explain, he's still here with us. He's so deeply embedded into our hearts, so securely attached, that we can still feel him in the house. The emptiness is here too, and we make room for that, but I wasn't expecting to carry him with us to this degree. Of course, texting and FaceTime help a lot. I miss him with my entire being and it's also okay. I've cried at the airport, on the plane, at the grocery store, in his room, and I've also wept tears of joy and gratitude for the goodness of this next stage of life. There were moments in our goodbye that were so exquisitely beautiful that I could hardly put them into words. The love between the four of us was like a shimmering entity that flowed through us connecting us beyond time and space. Perhaps that's what lives in the house now, the love. We will count down the days until we get to see him again, and we will also open to what this new beginning will bring for all of us. What I know is this, I wouldn't be okay if I hadn't let myself grieve as fully as I have this past year and throughout his childhood. Each smaller transition prepares us for the bigger ones. This is at the crux of everything I have taught in the field of transitions for 25 years, and I've lived it this past year like never before. Grief and joy, letting go and renewal, this is life on earth. We can resist it, which only leads to anxiety, or we can surrender to it, which leads to goodness and joy.
We came home on a Thursday, and this is what I wrote the following day. It's raw and unedited, but I want to share in more detail what the grief process looks like for me. And I want to also emphasize that there is not a correct way to grieve. People often ask me, how do I grieve? And my response is that there are a thousand ways to grieve. There isn't a formula, just like there are a thousand ways to know the divine. I do think that there are some mindsets and practices that can be helpful when grief pours in, but those will be different for everyone. This is just what it looked like for me. So this was Friday morning. We had come back Thursday night. I have a place of calm. That place was strengthened when I went through the dark night initiation in winter. The place where I know God, a beam of light, a steady column of light. The cycle is, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I've got this. And then it's Friday and he won't be here for Shabbat tonight. And I see the grief wave coming in from the horizon and I want to run from it. No, not another wave, but I can't run. So I surrender and I let the tears come. It's not pure surrender because embedded inside of it is the railing against what is. I want him here. I want him home. I want to sit together at our table tonight for Shabbat like we've done every Friday night for his entire life. I cry and cry. Then the tears stop and a song comes on. Arms of the Mother by Jamie Sieber. And I feel myself being held by Great Mother, held in the ocean, tears returning to those original salty waters. If I'm in a place where I can dance, I let my body move to the rhythms, which is also the rhythm of the sea, the rhythm of the world, the rhythm of the cycles of life that are informed by letting go and renewal. The rhythm is both inside of me and all around me. It's that place where I am a part of things, of everything, and it's all okay. I didn't want to get out of bed this morning, such heaviness remembering when I woke up that he's at college. But I did get up, and I hoisted myself to the gym, knowing that moving my body would help. I want to be extra tender and gentle with myself during this time, and I also want to tend to my body and keep moving with the waves and rhythms, and moving my body helps to keep those channels open. Walking through the grocery store, pain on every aisle, I'm not shopping for him anymore. I get half the amount of fruit, no protein bars, the seaweed packs I have put in his lunch for years. I won't be making his lunch anymore. Seeing strawberries bring ache, he loves strawberries. He loves cookies, he loves food, and I've loved cooking and baking for him for 19 years. I still buy his cereal because I plan to send him a care package. The grief waves are coming in fast. It feels like they're going to topple me over. I feel unsteady. Then I remember the prayer for steadiness, and I chant it over and over again. It helps. I'm okay again. When I'm unsteady, groundless, when my head swoons from grief and I feel like I can't breathe, when the waves come and pull me under, I call on the prayers 
of ground and steadiness. And when I do, I feel the mothers before me, the ancestors surrounding me, holding me up, offering steadiness when I can't find it myself. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Roka Al Hararetz Al Hamayim Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam HaMechim Mitzadei Gaver Who spreads earth over waters, who steadies me when I'm unsteady. Thank you, Judaism. You are my rock and my light. Day three, I'm okay. In fact, in some ways I'm better than okay. Something opened and moved yesterday. I was in unbearable grief in the morning. Then, as soon as I walked into my studio, everything inside of me calmed. My studio is wholly my space. No memories of Everest in there. And it's the space that is my separate self, the space that held me all winter in my descent. I saw clients and met with Megan today, and I felt deep well-being, the well of my being that I have cultivated for years and had an accelerated course in over winter. There it was. Here I am. Hineni. I am bigger than grief, bigger than my role as mother. The rest of the day felt normal. Then Shabbat, and I wanted to skip it altogether. Too painful. Too much effort but I didn't. A little effort, and the three of us gathered in the ritual we've had every Friday night for years. It was lovely, and we felt Everest with us. Today, I hear the crickets, and I'm anticipating a wave of grief, but it doesn't come. I see his room and his corner and his stool at the kitchen counter, and there's maybe a whisper of grief, but it doesn't knock me down. A quiet wave, a small ripple, or sometimes nothing at all, just crickets. I think of Everest. There's a neutrality to it. The first contractions birthed him into the world, and the faster they came, the closer he was to arriving. These grief waves contractions are birthing him out to the world. And as the days pass, they are getting further and further apart. And then, in this sense, we are birthing each other. For just as he birthed me as a mother 19 years ago when he arrived, his leaving births me more firmly into the second third of my life, a stage that is defined not by mothering my children, but by midwifing something else. Over the last several years, I have had numerous dreams about being pregnant or having a young baby. It's this baby that I will mother. Of course, we still have Asher at home for four blessed years. I am thrilled at our unintentional planning that we don't only have one or two or three more years with Asher, but we have four whole years to pour ourselves into him as much as he lets us. But of course, as he starts his high school journey, he will be separating out more from us. And before we know it, the day will come when we will take him to college. So I am in a liminal time, 
where I am still actively mothering an actual child while also exploring the work of the next stage of my life. I don't know exactly what this work will be, and I don't have to know. I am content to watch my dreams and follow my grief and mother my sons however much they need me and wait and listen and be. My eyes were full of tears when you were describing walking through the grocery store. I mean, that whole reflection is so beautiful. And I feel so honored to share in these really personal reflections from your journal on this experience. Mm. And there were so many things that stuck out to me as feeling very important to mm. the whole process. And one is from that initial Robin Wall Kimmerer quote, the idea that it's our job to give our children freedom. Yeah. I don't know that that's something every person, you know, really feels in their bones that not only is it okay, but it's actually their job to give their children freedom rather than their job just to keep their children safe, which obviously mm. is is part of your job, mm-hmm. but it's not the totality. And I think with any transition, there is some surrender into it's actually my job to, you know, to allow some sort of freedom that feels scary when you yourself are the child growing up. Mm. You know, it's actually my job to find my own purpose, to Mm. seek out my own freedom, or it's actually my job to just in various ways take care of my own soul. Yes. So I'm curious if you have any other reflections just on that idea of, of assuming that responsibility of giving your child freedom. And reckoning with that being a really important part of your role as a parent. I think we've always seen it that way, Dave and I. And I think it's part of a newer mindset and paradigm around parenting. I think for most of our human history, the model was to keep your kids close and that it was their job to take care of you. And take and stay close and stay home and take care of the elders and take care of the youngers. Um, and things are really shifting rapidly. And, you know, one of the things we joked about in those days and weeks leading up to Everest leaving is we would say, you know, back in the day, not that long ago, the kid would say, Okay, okay mom, pa, I'm I'm moving out. It's time to strike out on my own. And we'd be like, okay, son. We'll help you build your house next door. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. We'll, and we'll see you for dinner. You know? Yeah. Like that was the big launch or I'm going to move down the road. Um, and of course, it's been done many different ways in many different cultures, but there is, there has been that paradigm. 
But for us, freedom, the whole idea of freedom has been so central to our parenting. It's part of the reason why we homeschooled. It was to preserve their freedom, their freedom freedom of following their own rhythms, not having to wake up at a certain time to follow their own interests, not have to follow a, a curriculum. And um, there were downsides to homeschooling. I don't want to ever paint it as like the only good way to parent. There were There were definite downsides that my kids have both suffered from. But that was a guiding principle for us is we want our children to be free to be fully who they are and free from any of those old contracts that say you are here to be responsible for our feelings, you are here to take care of us physically. No. And sometimes we think, oh, gosh, we did too good of a job because, you know, Everest <laughs> – has no <laughs> no barriers on his how far he wants to travel. Like, you know, he wants to go to the moon and Mars. Um, but not really, because it's actually such a deeply satisfying experience to watch him launch with such readiness to be so deeply um connected to his tasks and mission and who just who he is that even though there've certainly been some struggles and challenges in these initial weeks as there always are going to college there's never been even a moment of doubt of him being able to handle them of his own there's no doubt in his own self of being able to handle it and so you know there's that beautiful um Khalil Gibran poem about your children are not your children you yeah know? and gosh i don't know when he wrote that he must have been really far ahead of his time because that's not a recent poem. But um, I've quoted from that often on my blog, and people have quoted it back to me when I've written about parenting. And so, you know, he gives some metaphor of the arrow, like of like they're they're they are their own arrow, and it's not our job to direct their path and to really be the bow even anymore. So yeah, he is. He is free and he's, as I've shared in, in other places too, like in that worry episode, he's also been very adamant about, I do not want your worry. I do not want any clutches. I do not want any tentacles on me. Like I demand total freedom to go and do this. You know, it's funny when I read that back about <laughs> being at the grocery store and missing shopping for him and cooking for him and then saying, but I'm still going to buy his cereal and send it to him. And I have done that. And he has said, don't, don't do that, mom. It's, mm. it's fine. I, I eat so much food here. Mm. And so then there's this other side of the relief of not having to shop for him and cook for him, the goodness of that. And for him to be, you know, one of the great parts of college is when you have a meal plan and you can just eat and eat and eat. And I'm like, Dave and I said last night, we are getting our money's worth. <laughs> like there might be some students out there that just eat a little bit and pick around, but you know, Everest will say, oh, I had so much breakfast this morning. And I'll say, well, what'd you eat? I ate a cheese omelet and three pancakes and a cupcake and a muffin and a bowl of fruit and a bowl of yogurt and a, and a smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Everest, <laughs> that is a lot of food. And like, 
I couldn't provide for that anymore. You know, I'm just one person. And so just always bringing in the other side, like the relief that his food needs are not my responsibility anymore. I don't know that I could say that in that way with such humor had I not fully grieved, right? The letting go. But there's so much goodness on the other side and there's so much goodness in him having that kind of freedom, you know, to just eat whatever he wants and not have me over his shoulder like, are you sure you want to eat all that sugar? You know, like he's just, <laughs> he's, he, last weekend they went to watch a rocket launch, which is so amazing that he's an hour from Cape Canaveral. It's one of the reasons why he wanted to go there. And that he's at a school where everybody gets up at 6 a.m. to watch rocket launchers because they're all as excited about all of that as he is. And he went with his roommates and they went to the beach and and then he said, and then we went to IHOP afterwards. And I was like, gosh, I can only imagine how much <laughs> this, <laughs> this is his first time at IHOP. We have not been an, an IHOP or McDonald's family. And mm-hmm. there he goes. And this weekend, he did a Navy thing with the ROTC, and he's like, yeah, we're going to stop at McDonald's. And I'm like, McDonald's, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, out of my hands, he is, he is free. Yeah. I mean, I think there were two things that struck me in what you shared that sounded like very important supports for you. One was these micro moments of grief throughout the past 18 or 19, 19 years and nine months, probably right from the time you knew you were pregnant with him. These micro moments of, of practicing letting go of grieving the small transitions and also a piece obviously around your spiritual support but also like that vision for the beauty that the future had to hold. Um, So the spiritual support helps you to surrender into the reality of the loss and the sadness that that is so real and the hope for a vision of, oh, I don't have to make all of this food and, you know, I get a little bit more freedom and he's going to be – so alive, like it's the the both and. And I was thinking about when it comes to those micro practices, this mm. poem by Elizabeth Bishop called One Art, mm. which it's pretty short. I don't know if you know it. I'm going to mm-hmm. read it. Yes. Okay. So this is called One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day. Accept the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Mm. Then practice losing farther, losing faster, places and names and where it was you meant to travel. None of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch, and look, my last or next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. 
I lost two cities, lovely ones, and vaster some realms I owned, two rivers, a continent. I miss them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture I love, I shan't have lied. It's evident the art of losing's not too hard to master, though it may look like, write it, like disaster. It's really good. It's very much in line with what we're talking about in terms of practicing with the smaller, I lost my mother's watch. Yeah. The art, the art of losing is not hard to master, but we practice in these smaller moments, which when raising children do never feel like they're small moments though. Yeah. Is they all, like I have clients now whose kids are going to preschool for the first time. And it fe- the magnitude of grief is exactly the same. Maybe not exactly the same. It's very similar to what I've experienced with Everest going to college. So it's, it's proportional, right, to where you are in the parenting journey. And the more we can let those m- smaller moments in where, yeah, your kid goes off, but then they come back at the end, you know, after two hours. And it's heart-wrenching, and you feel the torrential grief. But then there, there's your little three-year-old, right? Right back in your arms again. And the more we can do that, the more we are then paving the way for the bigger losses, the bigger letting goes, the bigger transitions. So yes, these sort of structures that have held me up, one has been grieving, Right, that grieving is a structure, a, a, a support. We don't think of grieving as a support internally, like a pillar, but it actually very much is. And when we resist it, which we are wont to do, right? I, I, like I shared, I could see the next grief wave coming, the tsunami. And it was like, no, no, I just grieved 10 minutes ago. Really another one? And it's like labor. It felt a lot like labor. Like, oh God, no. You feel the contraction building. It's coming and it's like, dear God, I cannot experience that physical pain again with a labor contraction. And this is the emotional pain. But then you really have no choice but to, it's so big but to surrender. Um, And I'm not that good at surrendering. People might think I am, but even in labor, laboring my kids into the world, especially Everest, I I resisted and resisted. I, I, I am not good at letting go. And maybe that's why it's everything I teach. Hmm. Um, But I resisted those labor contractions like crazy. And, you know, the labor was 42 hours, partially probably because I was, I, 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 I couldn't fully let go. Um, and so with this, I did, I did let go. I had the initial resistance, but then I let go. And so grief being one pillar of support and then my spiritual practice, my, my prayers, um, have gotten me through some of the hardest transitions and parenting transitions from, you know, 
the night before Everest soloed for the first time, um, turning to to my prayers and mantras. And 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 this experience was so there's grief and then there's that groundlessness, right? And that immense vulnerability. And in those weeks leading up to him leaving, I would I literally physically felt like I was going to fall over. That I was not steady on my feet. I was not steady in my and of course from my health anxiety, I was like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? And it's my you know, my blood pressure and it's like, da, 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 da. but there was a deeper place in me that knew this was a spiritual unsteadiness and that there are, there's a medicine, there are prayers, there's a prescription exactly for unsteadiness, which was those two lines that I read, which come from the morning blessings, the morning prayers that I say almost every morning. Um, for years and years and years, I've been saying those, and it's there's 14 of them. So that was just two. And when I would say them, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Hamechim Gaver, Holy One of Blessing, who steadies me when I'm unsteady, and I would see my ancestors, like I would feel this sort of pillowing around me of being held up. Like I cannot hold myself alone. And as I often share, we reach for the false footholds, right? We reach for anxiety, compulsions, obsessions, and you know, this is where I diverge somewhat from the mainstream approach to OCD that says, you, well, you just got to accept uncertainty. You just got to accept groundlessness. You just got to accept like that. Yes. And how about we also reach for something else that helps us tolerate that uncertainty a little bit better, right? That we're not just free falling because I felt like I was free falling until I remembered the prayer and something else came to support me, right? I'm not going through this alone. Yeah, I think that spiritual component creates more of that sense of trust yes. in something holding you. And trust in like the cycle of life, you know, like, yes, because I think that sometimes we can just get stuck in this is not okay. I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want any of this loss. Like this is not okay. And yep. obviously this is a really beautiful transition in so many ways. Like, yes. So positive. It's definitely bear saying we're not talking about the death of a loved one. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. So it's definitely, I do feel like it's important to say that this is what this transition is. Not everything I'm saying or sharing would apply, you right. know, to God forbid that loss. Yeah. Um, yes. So yes, go ahead. Yeah, just 
when you talked about the resistance to letting go and how you have struggled with that, you know, I thought about like going through a breakup with my college boyfriend at 22 and just if someone can butcher a transition like i just really felt like i butchered that transition like i did just about everything you can do to avoid the pain of mm. that transition and mm. my own responsibility in that transition and I think so much of it stemmed from a deep down core belief of just like, it is not okay to break each other's hearts. Mm. <laughs> it is not yes. okay to leave somebody you love. It is not okay. You know, these fundamental, like, this is not okay. Yes. And I've struggled with that with various transitions, even really positive ones throughout my life of just like, this is not okay. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and so it's just interesting to hear you say that you also have struggled with letting go because I do think people would look at you and go, well, Cheryl just surrenders into the, the river of life and just floats along it, you know? No, I don't. I would say I do that more easily in the realm of grief that for some reason grief has not been something that I have put up a whole lot of resistance to. But even in this, as I shared in the writing, there was a part of me that was railing against what is of this is this is not okay. Our children, this is a flawed, tragic plan. Yeah. <laughs> and our children should never ever leave us. And there was a big part of me that very much felt that way of why in the world would I endorse this? I love this human being so much. I love seeing him every day. I love him being in our house. I love him coming downstairs every morning and saying good morning. And I love saying good night every night. And I love him pulling up in the driveway after school. and this is not okay. And I felt all of that leading up and in those first couple of days. And, you know, if I let myself really think about it, like even just saying that list of like, hey, <laughs> right, this is not okay. <laughs> Where the F is Everest? <laughs> Get back here right now. <laughs> um. But then there's another part where it's it's just what is and it's more than okay and it's beautiful and it is a both and. It's like it's not okay and it's okay. This is horrible and tragic and it's spectacular and beautiful and exciting. It's all of that. And I will highlight what I wrote that our phones for all of the trouble they cause us. Yeah. I worship mm. the technology that allows me to see my Everest on FaceTime a few times a week. And 
I'm also so profoundly grateful that he wants to see me on FaceTime a few times a week and that he texts us and stays in contact and still says goodnight every night and (laughs) still says good morning. And maybe that won't last always. I don't know. I kind of think it will. I just (laughs) think that the bond is unbreakable. You know, with all of us, with all four of us, he texts Asher, they have their little, you know, stuff going on. It's, and he's, it's different with each of us, how he's staying connected, but he's very much present. And I, and I feel so grateful for that. I feel so deeply grateful that the technology exists and that he utilizes it. And wants to be connected to us. That is so beautiful and such a testament to the relationship that you have and the relationships that you have within the family. And it just, it makes me think about that other piece of the spiritual component is that sense for you that you named that you are not alone and that he is not alone. And I think it's the aloneness that also can keep us really resistant and in such suffering when we have a fundamental feeling of like, I'm alone. Yes. Or he's alone or just this aloneness in the world. Yes. And so I can see how that spiritual support, and it might look different for different people depending on their beliefs, but I do think addressing that need for connection feels so important. I think it's everything. Yeah. I really do. I think the need for connection in all directions with self, with others, with spiritual realm, however you understand that, is how we feel safe in the world. And highly sensitive people prone to anxiety and OCD have a heightened sense of unsafety, an awareness of all the unsafety that, all the danger and risk that exists. And so, we need that even more. We need all of those structures and supports that hold us, that we know how to hold ourselves, that we know how to reach to others, that we have some sense of being held by something bigger than ourselves. And that as a parent, that we also trust that our children are being held by something, that it's not just our job, right? And I share that with mothers a lot. Like, it's not just up to you you know, to keep your kids safe and to keep them on their path. And it's not just up to you there. I I believe, and I know not everybody shares this belief, but I do believe that there are ancestors and beings and, you know, animals and allies that are around us. And I think humans for most of history have held some kind of cosmology that places us in in the web of things, right? In a web of belonging. And that that's where we feel most safe. That's when we feel most safe. That's when we trust that we are not just alone in this vast world or universe. So, you know, I may have shared somewhere else, but Everest's love of flight and now he's at this aeronautical university 
it didn't just start with him. Like he comes from a legacy, mostly on your side, mostly through the Finns. Yeah. yeah. And I know that Grandpa David Finn, Dave's dad, your grandfather, Everest grandfather, is very much watching over my children, all of you. I believe that he's watching over all of you cousins. And, you know, keeping you safe. And that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. But whether that's true or not, the belief that I have and the, the visual, the images that I carry help me a lot. And likewise, I have, of course, my own. I have my grandmother and her two sisters, you know, that Charlotte, Anne, and Esther, they're with me and they're holding me. And I have, I have them as grandmothers. So I might not have it in this human realm. And I know there's deep longing for a lot of people, myself included, for where's my village, right? Where's my village? I shouldn't have to go through all of this alone. And where is the grandmother or the mother who says, oh, sweetie, come have tea with me and let me make soup for you. And oh my gosh, you're in that transition. Like I'm, I'm going through it with you. A lot of us don't have that on this human realm. Um, I've been very lucky as I've shared to have friends, such close friends, not only that I have close friends, but that we happen to have children at the exact same time. And so that helped a lot to go through this transition, especially with my friend Carrie. And our children were born two weeks apart. So she's going through it with her daughter. And that has definitely helped. And reaching out even to, you know, I'm a reacher. Like I am as much of an introvert as I am. Dave's always like, I thought you were an introvert. How'd you meet all these people on Facebook? <laughs> all these mothers. So I would reach out to the groups on Facebook mm. for his college, right? And the parents talking about, yeah, the practical things like, are you getting your kid in a mattress topper and a bed rail? And Everest would be like, stop, just stop. I'll be fine. Don't stop asking me those questions. So I ignore those threads. But then there were the threads of, I just dropped off my son and I'm at the airport and I'm in, I am weeping. And like the vulnerability of that for this random mother to post that on a Facebook page for parents, right? That 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 exists was deeply comforting for me in that stage, right? I don't really go on there anymore, but for that stage. So yes, that piece of we're not alone. There are places of support. How do we tend to our own grief? That's our own tending. And then how do we reach in those other ways as well. Oh, I feel like there could we could just like keep going on. But no, I'm wondering if there's anything that you feel like would be you want to touch on to wrap up, or if you feel complete, how does it feel for you right now? I think the thing I want to say is that I'm very mindful of presenting my life in a way that might trigger people to think, oh, Cheryl did it right, or that's the mm -hmm. correct way. 
And I want to say that part of the ease of this transition is because of Everest and just who he is, not necessarily anything we did as parents, but just that he is wired the way he is that has allowed him to be so ready to take this on and to leave. If he was calling us every day homesick, that would be a whole different conversation and a whole different emotional experience. Like our ability to let him go is in direct proportion to his readiness to be let go. Right. And sure, there's some good things we did as parents, but I can't say it's going to be the same when Asher goes to college. Right. We'll see. Um, they're very different kids. They're wired very differently. They have different gifts and different challenges. So this is, it's gone very smoothly. That's not necessarily a reflection of anything. It's just, oh, we got lucky. You know, it's gone smoothly. There were a lot of lucky pieces and doors that opened that even allowed him to be at this college that is such a great fit for him. That's part of it too, to be at a school that feels like, wow, this is home. A lot of kids get to school and they're like, this is not my place. And they transfer. And that's so good to know that, to know this is not my place and it's okay to change directions and it's okay to transfer. So there's just a lot of pieces that fell into place that has made this go more smoothly. Um, What I hope to really impart are, I think those two pieces, it's, it's in the emotional realm and it's in the spiritual realm that have allowed me, given all of these other circumstances that have aligned to, um, to be okay. Yeah. I really appreciate that reflection of yours on how many layers there are to any transition and that some transitions will be slower and more gradual and maybe not even have that very official crossing over the bridge moment. You know, it might be a series of small moments and one day you realize, oh, wow, right? I'm in this like different place now. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't necessarily the day we dropped him off at college, you know? Yes. And I think everything that you're sharing is just helpful to keep in mind as we go through the small steps throughout life, anytime we're like moving towards something or facing some small change. Yeah. So I just, I find that very helpful because, because yeah, there are always those micro moments. And I think everything that you're sharing is part of how we can move through them and with them as opposed to just like, I'm just going to avoid this. I'm just going to avoid this until I I literally can't anymore and then I'll still avoid it emotionally yes. <laughs> and spiritually in every way that I can. And sometimes that's just what's needed too. Right? Yeah. Sometimes that's just where we're at and we avoid and avoid and avoid until until we can't anymore. Mm. Well, thank you Cheryl. This was so beautiful. And again, I'm just so grateful to you for 
kind of opening up your heart and opening up your journal Mm -hmm. to share from such a personal place about what this is like for you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Victoria. Thank you to Jarrett Farkas for the use of our beautiful new theme music. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe or follow, leave us a review, share it with a friend, and consider joining our Patreon, where we share regular bonus content and also host virtual meetups. Visit patreon.com slash gathering gold to learn more.